We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Filato. And today's a special day of the year for me and for Nick because this is our favorite podcast to do during the pre-draft process by far. And it's backed up by the analytics because it's our most downloaded to, our most listened to, and our most anticipated. And that's because we have David Cyberston on to talk Giants, to talk draft with us. I think I botched his name based on the reaction to hearing his last name (laughs) because I knew I was going to do this again. I'm so bad with these names. Everyone who listens to the podcast knows that. But before we welcome on David, I want to let you know that you can actually look into getting his draft guide right now, the guide that he puts the work into over at rlads.com. It is the longest running NFL draft guide in the business. And I got to say, if you like his takes, why not get them all, right? Like, why not get in, get the guide? But one other thing I want to say about rleds.com, and this has been running, and I mean, Cy told me this before the, before the pod, but I've known this for a while. I've used this my entire career in the industry. They're the best in the business at depth charts. If you want to find out what NFL team has what needs going into this draft, you know, a team might be picking around where the Giants are picking. Are they going to take the guard we want? Are they going to take the corner we want that's falling in the draft to a spot we want? We know the Giants like him based on system fit. Well, now you look at the depth chart. It's up updated in draft because during free agency, those were updated before Schefter was even dropping the news. And the expectation is that may be the case during the draft as well. So keep it locked and loaded on our lads. And obviously if you want to, follow Sai on social media, you can follow him at rlads underscore Sai, where he will be delivering draft analysis pick by pick. And I remember this from last year, because I think last year was the first year we were doing this, Sai. And it was awesome stuff. Like you're going to get an immediate synopsis of the player who is picked as it's happening live. So that's as good and invaluable as it gets. So anyway, after all of that, Sai, how are you doing? We're happy to have you back. Thanks, guys. Thanks for that little intro. Uh, yeah, doing great. I'm definitely I'm limping through the finish line at this point. <laughs> it's such a long process. Uh, my soon-to-be three-year-old got pink eye this past weekend, and now I have pink eye as of this morning. <laughs> so it's uh, that it's just funny that this all happens kind of as we're you know going to be on camera uh, talking about the draft. But I guess we're here for football talk, not for uh, my career in modeling. So. <laughs> We'll, we'll leave that up to Nick and his hair. So yeah, uh, <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't I'm, really, said. <laughs> I'm really pumped to, to come on with you guys. Um, I tell you guys throughout the year that I really respect the work that you guys do. It's a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, it's definitely uh, an enormous industry, football media, but there are a few that stand out um, because they do the work. And you could tell they do the work and they put a lot of time into it. And you guys are definitely in that camp. So more than happy to come on and talk draft with you guys. 
I really appreciate that. And the same go, the, it's the mutual feeling here. Yeah, yeah Sai, you're the best man. Thank you for the compliment on the hair. And I think we can just, <laughs> I think we could just start this off, man, with uh, how we feeling at pick 25 because we 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 discussed this a little bit before the podcast. Joe Shane is a little bit more unpredictable than mm-hmm. Dave Gettleman. So how are you feeling about pick 25? It's it's funny because I look at what they did last year, and to me, there was a theme last year. There was, you know, we are going to rebuild this roster the way we want it to be built. And they, you could have gone in a couple different directions there, right? Um, you could have looked at, you know, if he was available, Sauce Gardner. Maybe they would have taken him, maybe not. Garrett Wilson was available. But they didn't want to go with Garrett Wilson, who was available for their picks. They went for the trenches. They went, like, head first, Evan Neal, Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Get these guys. Let, let's win the line of scrimmage. And I don't think they're done there, by the way. But this year, now you're starting to say – you know, Shane, he's big on their, their long-term plan. And I believe this front office and coaching staff are both in that camp that they actually have a plan. They're not going to adjust every single year. We all need to be capable of a pivot every now and then. But in terms of a macro level approach, I truly believe that last year was more about getting the trenches, getting that process rolling before everything else. And this year, it's going to be more about let's start to build in some playmakers. We need more explosive plays on offense. We need to prevent explosive plays on defense. And that's where I think this direction of the draft is going to go, at least early on. I want to ask you another one of these 30,000-foot view questions. And I think Nick brought this up before the show, but I'd like to get your take on the podcast. So one thing that Nick and I have tossed around is the idea that last year, Shane was coming into the Giants with Dable, you know, very late in the process as far as the draft goes. You know, he's hired and within – weeks months he has to draft the team this year he's had more time he has had got maybe he's gotten more of his own scouts in the building and maybe there's an opportunity this year for some of these scouts to bang the table and pound the table for a prospect they like and now he's more likely to draft that player joe shane because he trusts these guys they've been through the whole process what are your thoughts on just the transition and how different the draft might look from last year in the rush process to now when he has more time great point and it's an unknown you know i won't pretend that i know what i do believe just in terms of these younger general managers that are coming into leadership positions, right? There's a few of these young GMs that have taken over the position around the league. And it seems like a lot of these guys, it's no longer, hey, top guy on the totem pole, he makes the decision. We all clap our hands on TV when the pick gets made, thumbs up, even though if we don't like the guy. It seems like this is a much more collaborative effort, including the coaching staff. I don't remember You know, in recent, I mean, I'm talking the last few Giants coaches, how many times their coaches were very involved in the pro day process, running drills, traveling all over the country. Um, I know we don't always get all the access to that information, but it seems to me every time I read about a pro day, it's a Giants coach is running one of the drills. Yeah. And I believe that that I think they're going to have a much bigger uh, say in the draft process rather than just separating coaches and scouts. And that just shows, I mean, a lot of these successful franchises, that's how they do it. It's no longer just one guy calling the shots. It is a collaborative effort. So I do think that's going to kind of be something that we see with this front office more and more. Circling back a little bit to the philosophical discussion that we brought up with pick 25. You mentioned creating explosive plays, which the Giants ranked dead last in doing last year, and then stopping explosive plays. So the two position groups that I feel like mainly can prevent that in terms of passing the football, and there are a lot of different directions you can go here. You could say edge, pass rush, all that, but would be wide receiver and creating, and then cornerback and stopping. Do you think if we had to nail it down, and I know this is, we have no idea who's going to be available at pick 25, but you look at what the Giants have 
been doing with the wide receiver. They're taking them all out to dinner. It's wine and dine. They're spending money on these guys, right? They're really doing their due diligence in these top wide receivers who could be available at 25. But I also look at this cornerback class. The Giants could be selecting the fourth, fifth best cornerback in the class if they stay at 25, but that player could still be an immediate impact player in this draft class. So do you think it's safe to say the wide receiver and cornerback at 25, if they don't trade down, those are the two position groups that the Giants will more than likely be focusing on if that's their philosophy? Yeah, if I was a betting man and there was a market out there, you know, how strongly do you feel that the Giants first pick, if they stay put, will they will it be a receiver or corner? I would say more than 50% odds it'll be one of those two spots. You know, and then yes, you can go down to if a certain guy falls down with a lot of value um, at any position because I do think the draft, nobody can predict what's going to happen in the draft this year. I, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but like that top 10, top 15, it can go so many different directions that you don't know who's going to drop down to a value spot at number 25 overall. But for my money, I think it's got to be wide receiver or corner at the 25th overall pick. And I just think it also aligns with where these guys stack up into the draft class overall. You know, you're going to get, I think, one of the top three or four receivers are corners, if not both, available at 25. That's interesting because Nick and I have done a, a few mock draft simulations and we haven't felt as confident in our corners that we really like dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of brings me to my next point again, more 30,000 foot view. But we know last year the Giants traded back a couple times and then used what I would consider a semi premium pick. For me, the really only premium picks are like top 15, top 10 in the yeah. NFL draft. People always think of the NFL draft is like, oh, in your second round, you fill this need, your third round. Most of these guys don't hit after the top, yeah. you know, 20 guys. But they used a semi-premium pick on Wondell Robinson, who was an outlier from a bunch of standpoints as far as uh, wingspan, size, things of that nature. Now, as we look to the 25th overall pick, which is not a full premium pick, but more of a premium than 44, the guys who might be available, I think, at those positions you mentioned are in some ways outliers. Say Flowers, 184 pounds, and I feel like he got up to that weight for the for the testing. I don't know if he's going to even play at that. Jordan Addison, 173. Emmanuel Forbes, 166 pounds. Um, so what do you make of the idea of using a premium pick, potentially a 25 overall at an, uh, uh, for an outlier? That's the one thing I have some hesitation. I've done a, I'm not a huge mock draft guy um, just because I spend way too much time thinking about it. <laughs> They're never right. But I've been asked to do one. I've, I'm going to be posting my, my one and only final mock draft uh, in the coming week, a bunch of analysis. And the two times I've been given the Giants a pick, it's been Zay Flowers, uh, the wide receiver from Boston College. And – the one thing that gives me hesitation is this would basically make four of their top six receivers under six feet tall. Yep. And two of them, Wandale and Zay, off the charts in the wrong direction when you're coming, when you're talking about height, weight, and radius, you know, length and wingspan. Uh, but to have both those guys on the same field. Now, you listen to Shane talk and you watch the NFL now, it is much more spread out. You know, it is going towards a college football type game right now. And those traits, those styles of, of football. They value the guys that can get open quickly. Those guys that the quick, sudden change of direction might be worth more than what the size was, right? Five, 10 years ago, it was size, speed, size, speed. Now I think it's more about, you know, how elusive are you? Are you? What can you do after the catch? And can you get open? Because there's so many rules against touching receivers down the field that, you know, that these offenses and regimes that are kind of ahead of the curve around the NFL, you see them value that kind of movement more than that straight line speed. But to me, I still think there needs to be size somewhere on this team. Darren Waller erases that issue somewhat, 
right? We can't forget, he's more receiver than tight end, in my opinion. So you do have Hodgins, you do have Waller. Slayton's not a small guy either, but it is hard to imagine where do you put all these guys when they're on the field at the same time between Sterling Shepard, Robinson, Zay Flowers, if they go over there. So it's a fascinating thing to think about, and I'm not sure if he ends up being the guy. I don't want to uh, depart from the outlier conversation, but I do want to stick with the wide receivers real yeah. quick. I think you bring up a very valuable point about Hodgins and Slayton and obviously Darren Waller being of size. And I've already deemed this team the slot machine team because they just have so many damn slots. Yeah. What is your overall feel on the wide receiver group? Because to me, there's a lot of day two guys who I feel like would add immediate value to the to the Giants receiving room. And maybe they don't have to spend 25 on a Zay Flowers, who I like. But what is the the biggest difference between is a flowers and a Marvin Mims. And I feel like you can have that conversation relative to maybe a cornerback who could be available at 25 and a cornerback that you could get at 57 or 89. That's exactly where I circle back to. And we, we see this in the wide receiver class in general year after year. Um, I did a little study of, of the receivers that have been drafted in the past four years. And yes, the success rate of first rounders is a little bit greater than day two, round two and round three. Okay, the numbers are obviously greater because round two, round three is two rounds. Round one is just 32 picks. But the the hit rate on receivers that are drafted after 23 overall is not very good compared to the rest of day two. And what that tells me is when you are going to draft a wide receiver high, top five, top 10, top 15, even top, where, where was Justin Jefferson drafted? Number 22 overall, right? Um, those guys have a much higher success rate, a hit rate, than what you are going to get day two, day three. Uh, so where does that leave the Giants? The Giants are in a weird spot. They're in that 25th slot, and they're probably going to get the number two or number three receiver that is available. And now you're starting to, if you're going to use history as a trend, I know analytics don't always make the decision, but it's something that does need to be thought about when you're looking at a wide receiver class, especially with guys that have significant issues. I like Zay Flowers. I like Quentin Johnson. There are significant fears there. So why would you not take that risk day two and shore up a different part of your team in round one? And to me, yes, it probably could be cornerback, but there's other spots that I think can provide value as there. So that's why, to me, round one, I have no idea what direction they're going because I can make a strong case against receiver, even though I do think it's the biggest need. And on that note, just to ask you your kind of how you would approach this if you were in the GM seat, I'll ask you a two-part question. The first would be, how many players do you have first-round grades on? The second part of that question is, if a player, if all of those first-round grade players are off the boards of the Giants, not including like Bijan Robinson, who, you know, right. we'll get, we don't want the Giants going that direction, I don't think. But, <laughs> you know, all the players that fit needs and value are off the board. Is that when, as a GM, you would actually likely or look into trying to trade back? Yeah, trade back. But I also, I mean, it, it's an easy thing to say, let's trade back. Because everyone, especially as the draft gets closer, we all want more picks. We want more, like, swings in the batter's box, mm -hmm. right? And that increases our odds of hitting, you know, a couple doubles, a triple, and a home run. I think that there are there is equal possibility and maybe even equal value in trading up. And, yeah, that might mean giving up your third-round pick. You, know, you already gave up one for uh, Darren Waller. But if you start to see some of these guys come off the board and there's only a couple left that you really truly find value in at the 25th overall pick or first round pick and picks 18, 19 are coming around and you really have an outlier, a guy that you think can be your guy, right? Especially a corner. These guys are really hard to find. 
that might be a, an option that I think very few people are talking about is trading up into the late teens and trying to nab one of your guys. And yeah, giving up a third round pick, which I know nobody wants to do because we just want more players to talk about and dream <laughs> about. But that that's an option. Well, to answer the question, trading back is definitely an option. You just have to have someone that's on the board that somebody wants to come up and get. The area that I do think the Giants can trade back to, because of the, the position I think the Giants can get a trade back from, is quarterback. Yeah. Uh, if Hend- Hendon Hooker, I've talked to multiple people, say that he's going round one. All right. And I'm not a big rumor guy. I'm not an insider. I have some connections and I don't like to use them, but I've been told he's going to go in the first round. So if you know that, you know, 25th pick is coming up and your guys are just off the board, you feel like you're going to reach no matter what. If someone comes in and maybe even lowballs you a little bit and you still have a pick in the top 40, that's something to, to really consider as a strong possibility. So I'm looking at the the draft order right now, and I see Washington at 16, who has been rumored to possibly want a cornerback, maybe one named Joey Porter. You also have Pittsburgh a couple picks after that. And I'm wondering just from the scenario that you laid out, a possible trade up with the Giants trade up with a team like the Packers or something like that to maybe get one of those, I would say probably third or fourth ranked cornerbacks, because I'm imagining Gonzalez and and Devon Witherspoon are going to be gone by that time. So yeah. that's a, that's just an interesting little note that that you brought up and I wanted to just kind of extrapolate upon. But one other thing I wanted to also bring up, another outlier type of player here at pick 25 that I, I see a lot of people on Giants Twitter discussing. And I kind of just wanted to get your overall opinion on this player. That is Kalijah Kansi, the pit interior defensive lineman. Somebody that Dan and I both really like, but we're, I don't want to speak for Dan. Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if we're convinced that this guy can play all three downs right now. I think he could be like a designated pass rusher for you, which is invaluable in today's NFL, right? Somebody who in Wink Martindale's defense, where you have seven guys up on a line of scrimmage, he's going to have a one-on-one matchup. He wins one-on-one matchups with his speed, agility, and his hands. So what is your overall feel on Kalijah Kansi? And would you be okay with the Giants selecting a player like that at 25? So I, I can go in a couple different directions there. One of them, something bizarre to me about Kansi that I don't know if it's been put out there. He hasn't had one top 30 visit around the entire league and he doesn't even he doesn't even know why and in my opinion it's more about nobody wants to know that they want can see you know this happens (laughs) every year if you have a lot of top 30 visits that usually means there's questions about you that teams want to get to the bottom of so i I think it's there's a misnomer out there that they think top 30 means hey we like you a lot i want to come hang out with you and i want you to show us this is not a recruiting visit this isn't like college right, right. where the player has the power right? the, the team has the power they get to pick who they want so if they already have everything figured out about Kansi, you know why bring him in and he is one of the wild cards of draft weekend meaning if there is a team that has a lot of interest in him they're going to want to be off the radar i bet there's probably at least a half a dozen teams that view him as the top 15 pick in my mock draft that it's going to be released somewhat soon, I have him going number seven overall. And that's as high as anyone I've seen out there. I personally don't think he's worth that pick. But because of – we can see this, and we're about to see this with Dexter Lawrence, right? The value of interior disruptors is shooting through the roof right now. You see Deron Payne, Jeffrey Simmons, soon to be Dexter Lawrence, soon to be Quinn Williams. These guys are going to get edge defender contracts. Right, can see, and now you see these guys come into the league that have that kind of skill set that they can be the penetrator because these these offenses are so much about get the ball out fast, get the ball out fast. The quickest route, point A to point B, is a straight line, and that's exactly where the D tackle is going to have to line up. 
So I think Canty's going to have a lot of value draft weekend. And I'll tell you what, I don't think he's going to be there when the Giants are on the clock. If he is there, does he fit? I agree with you. He's not someone I would want on the field every down. Pass rush package only. And that might be where he ends up. There's something that I don't like about Canty's game. And it's the lack of length. And you can overcome lack of length if you are perfect. Okay. But I don't like the Aaron Donald comparison either. In my opinion, that only comes from the fact that he wore the same helmet in college, right? They both went to Pittsburgh. I think that's where, that's where the, uh, the comparison ends. Donald was a magician, a technician with his hands, but he was also a lot longer. I think he was two, three inches longer with his arm length. And there's a D tackle I have above Kansi that if he's at 25 overall, I'm going to have a hard time overlooking his availability. And I don't think anyone else is this high on him, but it's Adabare from Northwestern. And this is a guy that played edge for Northwestern. He should have been playing inside, but that team has no talent whatsoever. There isn't someone with half the talent on. So he was the only one on that defense that anyone ever paid attention to. You want to talk about a freak, you know, four, four, nine at, at, uh, you know, he was faster and longer and stronger than everything Kansi put out there. And he got some three technique looks at the senior bowl for the first time on a routine basis. And he was dominating. And you talk about a guy that was good with his hands and has the length. That guy is who reminds me of Aaron Donald. So to circle back to your question, do I think the Giants should take 20, uh, Kansi at 25 overall if he's there? My answer would be no. I think that's a little too rich. I also don't think he'll be there just based on what I'm hearing about him. But if Adebarre is there at Northwest, from Northwestern, there, there is a very small list of guys that I would take in front of him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to circle back. First of all, I really like that call, especially because I some I think one of the key factors is when you watch him and you watch Northwestern, you made the the point you made is so strong. Like no one on that opposing offense is caring about anyone but him. Now he comes right. to the NFL and they'll be caring about Kayvon Thibodeau or Aziz Ojolar, whoever else is on your defense. But I want to right. circle back to something you mentioned before about the corners. And this is something you you put out as in a tweet, I think, yesterday or the day before, and it caught my attention. Yeah. And we always talk about these outliers for the wrong way, right? Like Zay Flowers and all those guys for the wrong way. But there's like an there's also the opposite. There's the outliers in the good way. And you and you talked about in your tweet about Joey Porter Jr., the corner out of Penn State. So for me, for the first time in a while, side because it really does go against my nature, I am open to trading up in round one and giving up that 89th overall pick. And maybe if it's more, I got to give more to get Porter or Deontay Banks. Those are the only mm-hmm. two players I would trade up for, but I would be open to doing it. Do you? Can you give me an idea of? Any pl- uh, any other corner you'd be willing to trade up for, or 
F all the four corners we expect to go before 25, those two in the big two and the two in Gonzalez and Witherspoon are off the board. Who is the next corner you would want that fits the Giants system and what Wink Mardell likes to do? Yeah, so, so the idea of trading up for Porter, I'm on board. Um, I, I believe this is a perfect scheme and perfect situation for him. Uh, and what I love most about Porter, other than the unicorn status that he has with the height, weight, speed, length combination, which we've never seen before, right? Um, the it's how how much he improved from 21 to 22. He was a he was a penalty machine in 2021. And some of these guys, especially when they come out of college, the rules are a little different down there, a little bit less strict. They they don't overcome that, right? That that's just who they are. And just to see that Porter really did change the way he played, you know that he'll do that, right? It might not be right away. Um, he might be a, a there's a lot of corners that comes to the league that they're just not ready right away. AJ Terrell reminds me when he started off in Atlanta, he didn't have a great start to his career. Now he's, you know, in my opinion, one of the top young corners in the game. I can see Porter having that kind of feel where, hey, you guys might not love him right away, but we know that we know the football character here, right? The lineage does help. I do think that his father's career will help him a little bit, that you know that he gets it, right, mentally in terms of work ethic and refining his craft, which is such a separator that never gets talked about, right? When I don't want to go off tangent too much. When there's a draft, a bust, right, the first-round bust, it's always, oh, you analysts were wrong. You're a terrible scout. You don't know what you're talking about. So much of a player's progress in the NFL comes out to how, how hard they're going to work and how how well the coaches, you know, have a plan for them, which this organization, I feel like, has a plan for everyone. And that's going to be another feather in their cap. But Porter is a guy that even if you do think he's a little rough around the edges right now, he's worth a trade up because this Giants defense, they need a number one corner at some point. It doesn't need to be next year, but within Joey Porter's rookie contract, he's going to be the best corner on that team if they draft him. And to me, that's worth a trade up. Um, is there another corner that if they don't trade up for that, if they stayed at 25 or maybe got aggressive in round two, I like Ringo from Georgia and I'll tell you why I like him, even though I'll be the first to tell you he's raw. He he's another outlier with size. I mean, this guy is, is six two two ten. I think he looks like a safety. And at first you're like, maybe he should play a safety. Then you watch him turn and run and, and, and. You know, that that uh, that bump and trail technique that Wink Martindale loves to use out of his corners, right? Get really physical at the point of attack. Let him start getting downfield. If you have the speed to make up for it, we'll trust you on an island. He did that on tape against some of the best receivers and best quarterbacks in the country. I believe he intercepted Will Levis, Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker over the course of his career. And you watch him. I mean, he, he had a play against Cedric Tillman this year, who I like a lot. Um, in Athens, where that's exactly what he can do that other guys can't. I mean, he, he was a sub-4-4 guy that weighs 210 pounds and is a physical, nasty dude. I believe Ringo should be in the discussion at 25 overall if he's there. Do you have any concerns with Ringo's, I would say, ability to – I would I think click and close is probably safe to say. Like, on those curl and comeback routes, it took him a little bit to kind of really explode out of that break because some of my concerns with Ringo – it's not just that. It's also horizontally. I do see a little bit of stiffness. I totally agree. Whenever he does flip his hips, his ability to accelerate and go from zero to 100, it's very, very impressive. That vertical speed is there. You want him to cover that nine route. Like you said, you want him to assume trail. And if the safety, for whatever reason, does not get over the top, he has that recovery speed to work underneath that, even though his vertical was a little bit disappointing. I think it was like 33 inches or something like that. Mm. But do you have any concerns about the the slight stiffness or am I reading too much into that? No, I I don't think the stiffness is the issue. I think the mental process 
the mental processing is the issue. He doesn't have instincts the way that some of these other corners have. And if you're going to be successful in the corner in the NFL, you have to kind of anticipate and know the game, know route concepts, kind of know what's coming. You take your guesses here and there. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. Ringo, to me, was more of a reactionary type player. I didn't see a lot of, like, forecasting in his game. And I think because of that, he comes across as a step or two slow on the short to uh, on the uh, the short to intermediate route tree. He does have a hard time there, and I do believe that's why he's not going to be considered a high pick. Um, so I, you know, no corner prospect is going to be perfect. I believe that can come in time. I also think that can be hidden within scheme and Ringo and this defensive scheme and this defensive coaching staff. I believe can handle something like that, where some others cannot. Uh, so. Ringo, the lack of explosion, he's a track athlete. I mean, that's what his background is in track. So that's why you see him running a straight line fast. But I also, I love the ball skills. You know, hmm. we see a lot of corners in this class that have ascending ball skills. It's something we haven't seen in a long time. Right. And to me, it seems like there's a trend with a lot of receivers um, in high school. They transition to the defensive side of the ball because it's a quicker, more efficient path to the NFL. Where, you know, five, six years ago, maybe even more, everyone wanted to be a wide receiver. You know, you get the highlight tapes, you know, it's a little bit more fun to play. Um, but I think that the, the saturated market year after year is just pushing a lot of these mentors and high school coaches saying like, hey, if you want to get in the league, you got to be a corner. So we're seeing a lot of corners with better ball skills and Ringo fits there. 19 PBUs over the last two yeah. years. And this is somebody yeah. who is only 20 years old. So you have to keep sure. that in mind as well. No, Shane loves that. Yep. I yeah. want to transition a bit with you side to a couple other positions, non-premium positions by NFL standards. Um, and I promise for those listening, we will get to day two and day three as well here. We're talking a lot of day one, but that's okay. Yeah. So let's start with center. Um, a lot of Giants fans want the Giants to draft a center in round one at 25 overall. It's not something I want them to do at all. It's one of the directions I least want them to go. But I'll ask you the question. One, how would you stack up the top centers in this class for your board? And two, would you consider using 25 overall on any of them? Absolutely not at 25 overall. Um, that, I just want to get that out there. The All these centers are day two prospects. And I don't even think they're a top of the line top. I think they're more round three prospects. Okay. And um, good players. And honestly, I don't think I've projected this many starting centers in the draft uh, in a long time. I have to, I haven't go, I need to go back my nose and see if I've really projected. The thing about a lot of starting centers is they weren't centers in college. A lot of them move inside. And that's the thing that Shane does. I mean, look at Buffalo's offensive line. Last year, I, I put a tweet out there about this. Every single one of their offensive linemen, starters and backups, were college tackles. So that includes center, Mitch Morse, wow. uh, the guards, the backup guards, the backup center. And so that's something that I think it's a classic example of the team says, hey, we weren't very strong. Our fans of the team said we weren't very strong at center last year. Oh, my God. And we lost our two guys that are probably our best centers and Nick Gaze and Feliciano. You know, this is what Joe Shane calls shopping hungry, <laughs> right? You know, I, I worked in the in the health and fitness industry, right? And if someone really wants to lose weight, that's one of my things I say is don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry. You know, that that's when you make long-term mistakes, <laughs> right? It's, like, it's putting a Band-Aid over a niche uh, of a cut that needs stitches. Right. That's really what you're doing if you draft a center in this draft in round one. I'm not anti Schmitz, Tittman, Whipler. I think those guys can start in the NFL and give you solid play. But if you are drafting them in round one, that's something Dave Gettleman would have done. Just like a hey, we have a hole there. Let's pluck one top center in the draft. Everyone will love us for it. And then in three years, we need to center again. So that that's the I I have Schmitz as the number one guy. 
because I feel the safest with him, not because I think he's the best athlete or he has the highest upside. I just feel that he's going to come in and you know he'll be in the league for, you know, 10 years if he stays healthy, giving you solid play. Um, and I have Tittman second, Whipler third. The thing about it, all three of those guys wind up with the same numerical grade on my grading sheet. I don't think one stands out from the other. And I think it's going to go based on scheme. You know, if yep. you need a better athlete, you're probably going Titman, right? If you want something that's a little more mental capacity, you're calling a lot of shots. Some teams put a lot of pressure on the center pre-snap. Like you need to be a second quarterback. And if you can't, you can't play center. Schmitz is that guy. He's the one that kind of holds the glue. To, he's the glue to the offensive line. Um, and he's a really good run blocker too. Like a dominant run blocker when he's squared up. Whipler, a little bit more of an unknown. I think he's kind of like the mix of Schmitz and Tittman. A little bit better of an athlete than Schmitz, not as good as Tittman, um, but plays with better pad level and uh, than Tittman just because of the height. And he's, by the way, he's a Jersey kid. Uh, he went to high school about a half hour from Giant Stadiums or from MetLife. So that's something to think about. But I think it, that's how the top three stacks out. I love what you just said about Joe Shane and his past within Buffalo and what, you know, learning from that, because that's something I've talked about. I'm really interested in drafting either Cody mock or Braden Daniels, two prospects. I think they can take from tackle, move them over to center. And I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of that I missed that tweet of yours. So the giants, not the giants, but you know, we do have a history of Joe Shane coming from Brandon Bean and, a place where they did convert a lot of tackles to in the interior offensive line. And we've seen the giants do it, not in the Shane era, but with Nick Gates, obviously. So great, great well, call there. Josh Ezidu. I mean, I know he was guard. He was on my guard sack last year. He played some tackle in North Carolina. You know, that, yep. that's something to think about. Even Marcus McKeith. And I know college guard kind of looks like a tackle. In my opinion, their plan for him is going to be to play both spots as well. So even if draft weekend, I would encourage everyone if, the, if they go a line at some point, which I'm sure they will, don't just say they took a guard or they took mm -hmm. a tackle. Look at the skill set. Maybe listen to us. I'm sure you guys do a great job talking about it too. There are a lot of tackles that project better inside. A lot. I mean, I would say I'm looking at my top 20 stack on tackle right now. I think I have the star, which means I think they could play guard at the next level next to eight of them. Right? Wow. Like that's going to be something that you really should just pay attention to draft weekend that if they draft a tackle – it might not be for tackle. It could be for guard. Even That's why the center position, let's look deeper than just the top four centers in this draft. I think we can go, we can get one of our guys like a Cody Mock would be a great fit. Especially someone who could be developed because let me ask you this, this isn't really pertaining to the draft, but we know that Joe Shane has spoken about Shane Lemieux, about Ben Bredesen, about these guys potentially playing center, Jack Anderson. Do you, do you think that's realistic? And which one of those players do you think has the best chance of earning that center position? I mean, look, no matter what, if you're in charge of personnel in the NFL, you have to create competition in your team. That The mm -hmm. best teams do it. So you have three or four guys going for one spot. At the very least, you know someone's going to earn that spot. Yes, it's a little bit of a hedge if guys start to get injured in training camp preseason, which happens every year. Don't forget that, right? Look at what happened last year, right? It happens. Um, but out of those four guys, I feel the best about Bredesen just because – I believe his best football was played at center last year. The guys around him know a little bit. I think chemistry means a lot. Um, Hassenauer, Lemieux, I don't even want to put in the discussion. Jack Anderson, not, a, not huge on him, wasn't huge on him coming out of Texas Tech either. If he's on your depth chart, cool. I'm not going to say that's a bad move. But Bredesen is the standout name to me in that group. But he's going to have to earn it. And I think that was a really kind of like a brilliant move by the front office that it's not just depth. It's going to make sure that Bredesen knows he's not being handed the job. And now if you bring in a kid in the draft 
it's going to put even more pressure on them. I want to wrap up with one more day one type of look, and that's another thing that you might have the same answer as you did for center for Cy, and that's the linebacker position where the Giants finally did make an investment this offseason. Thank God. And Bobby Okereke, that was the bare minimum they needed to do after what they put on tape last year against the Eagles and other games and run defense. But I think Nick and I have been pounding the table for years now to find some kind of Michael Boley type linebacker to add to this defense, someone who can play next to Okereke now. Do you view, first of all, how would you uh, rank the top of this linebacker class? And even if you don't rank it, just give us maybe names that you like that maybe might not be ranked as high. Um, And then two, is there anyone in the linebacker class you would consider as maybe taking a surprise pick at 25 overall? So it's a similar, similar feel to the center group, Uh, a a notch better that I don't have any first round grades at linebacker, but I have three guys that are, have the same numerical grade, just like center. And those three are respectively higher than any of the centers. And that's Trent Simpson, Jack Campbell, Drew Sanders. They're all kind of one, two, three will be picked based on scheme. Um, I don't think one stands out more than the other. I don't believe any one of those guys will be a surprise pick because I think the Giants are big about, you know, allocating resources, not overspending in one spot. The fact that their biggest, uh, like last year in 2021, the biggest move they made in free agency was Mark Lewinsky. And, they waited until day two to address to address another player at that same position when they drafted Esdu. I think same thing is that Okariki was the allocation of a top resource in the free agency period. They will add another linebacker at some point, but the earliest would be would probably be round three. And so you're not probably not going to get any, any one of those three guys. And remember, Wink Martindale, he was a linebacker coach at Baltimore prior to being promoted to the defensive coordinator. That's his thing. That's his spot, right? If you look at some of the linebackers that he developed in Baltimore, undrafted free agents, late day three picks that were that were studs, absolute studs. So I think that's in the back of his head. And I believe that's kind of what they went for last year with McFadden and Beavers. Now, McFadden is a limited upside guy. I'm fine with him on the field if you have a very special player next to him. But he's limited, and we saw that last year, just in coverage, laterally even. Um, but let's not forget about Beavers. Beavers seemed to have had Martindale's attention last year prior to that injury. I was at training camp a few times last year. I, I go when I can. I get to stand with the media guys, right? And Beavers seemed to be creeping up into that number one spot. Like, I, I, I think he was going to be a week one starter. That was kind of like something I was ready to predict, right, as if mm-hmm. that mattered. But um, so, you know, he's coming back from an ACL. I believe he's going to be very much in that discussion. But like we talked about with the centers, you need more competition at that spot. And if there's a day three, uh, sorry, a day two value, round three probably, and then round four, round five, that that's a spot that Martindale will probably pound the table for another guy. And there's one linebacker that I personally love. He's my number four guy. He is the guy right after Drew Sanders, the number three linebacker in the class is uh, Pace from Cincinnati. And what he does at a really high level that Martindale loves is blitz. That guy is a menace behind the line of scrimmage. And there is a certain skill. And you really have to watch a lot of tape to really understand that some guys have this and some guys don't. He is elite at missing contact by blockers, especially as a blitzing, uh, as a blitzer. We saw at the senior bowl, you couldn't even touch him. And that's where his lack of size pops up. I mean, the guy's under six feet tall. He's got a very short wingspan which you can consider is, is an issue, but so did Patrick Queen, who was a first-round pick when Martindale was calling the shots at, at, in Baltimore. Uh, Pace is a guy, I'm telling you right now, he's going to be you know, better than a, another version of what Malcolm Rodriguez was for Detroit this year. 
a, a six-round pick that nobody thought about that, you know, ended up probably being the best inside linebacker on that team by the end of the year. And this kid's a much better athlete, much higher ceiling. Wow, I yeah. love that call. His ability to penetrate, man, it's crazy. And even though he has those short little stumpy Tyrannosaurus Rex arms, they freaking pack some violence, dude. I've dude. seen plays on clip where he's dude, like he whacking hard to the deck. He hurts me when I watch him tackle guys on tape. I'm like, oh, that hurt. You know, like there, there aren't many guys. Like you just watch so much. Like nothing really like grabs your attention that much, right? But the way he hits, that he is a violent dude. It's like a bowling ball running to pin sometimes. And you know that Martindale, well, isn't that Martindale? Like you, you dumb yeah. all this down, all these fancy schemes. Like that guy is still very old fashioned. That he's going to confuse the hell out of you, and he's going to have. He he wants players in that defense that inflict pain and you know safely injure guys. If that's if that's a thing, but I would say I should say safely injure guys, um, cleanly injure guys because of how yeah. violent they play. So um, there's another very violent linebacker, and you don't have to spend much time on this whatsoever. But I have heard zero people talk about him. And I was turned on to him while watching his teammate, Dorian Williams, who will likely be an early day three pick. And that's Nick Anderson, number one from Tulane. Do you have any opinions on this guy? Cause I've literally, I, I, you know, I studied the draft and everything. I watch a lot of stuff. I've seen nobody mention this man's name. He wasn't invited to anything, but you were talking about undersized linebackers who bring violence to the point of attack, who are at least sufficient athletes. Nick Anderson is one of those guys. And I think he could be like a priority free agent who can crack a 53 man roster. You have any opinions on him? Absolutely priority free agent, maybe even a late round pick because of what he can do on special teams. Remember, when guys get drafted round six, round seven, it's not necessarily, oh, he's the best remaining wide receiver. He's the best remaining running back. It's um, we need him to perform the role of special teamer on our, on our team on game day. This guy's going to be on our 53 man roster. We don't need a seventh wide receiver. We need someone that could do damage on special teams. So this is a kid that will make a name for himself right away as a special teamer. He is similar to Pace. I don't think he's as explosive, but the you know the schematics the macro level view of him is very much the same he's undersized but he plays bigger he plays violent um him and, and dorian williams both who i like too i let dorian he's my number six linebacker i mean i'm right up there with him with where i think the market is on him uh, he was often found both these guys on the wrong side of blocks that's the one thing i, I just kind of kept popping up on my tape and that's probably why you know you see a guy that's not overly fast he's not overly big and he has a hard time getting through traffic because he doesn't get in the right position quickly enough. Uh, in the NFL, you just get swallowed up, you know, because of, of the the size and speed differences. But to me, you know, that guy is worth drafting late if you need a special teams presence and you want to maybe, you know, I hate to say get lucky at linebacker, but that's kind of what it is when you're drafting the seventh round. Um, he's definitely he has the mindset like pace. You're absolutely right. I want to circle back real quick for a moment side to the wide receiver position and shift the conversation outside of day one for now, because yeah. I do feel that obviously, you know, although there can be a case to be made that they shouldn't go day one, we need wide receivers despite what we have on the roster. There's not that many players signed past this year. And ultimately the goal is to find a wide receiver one for the giants. Now, some things that you mentioned before that stood out to me when it comes to the size debate is the only thing that gives me concern. I do feel like Joe Shane and Brian Dable are onto something and may be giving themselves an edge by looking for separation skills over everything else. Cause it's something that I think is giving you an edge wide receiver. But then I, I, Oh, and I mentioned this to Nick a few podcasts ago. I'm like, 
we can do this, but then how are we also expecting to operate this perimeter run game that we're that we had last year with Saquon Barkley? We have a bunch of 180 pounders on the field trying to block. And I know Shepard's a good blocker. He is a really good blocker, but he's a good blocker for his size, and he's a really high effort blocker. Um, and who knows if he's even going to be able to stay on the field this year? He hasn't been able to. So as you look towards day two, either in rounds two or three, who are some of the wide receiver targets you have for the Giants that really are higher on your board or your are you like specifically to the fit, not only for what we need based on what we have already on the roster, but just who fits the system, who fits what Daniel Jones does well as a quarterback. Great, great point on, I haven't even put that much thought into the need to be able to block. And they talked about that publicly, that that's, that's a huge deal. That's a part of the size discussion. And, you know, Zay Flowers, one of the notes I have on him is, I know we'll get to the day two guys, but for example, one of the notes I have on him, he's a competitive blocker. But like you said, 180 pounds, 180 pounds, right? Yeah. It, it almost doesn't matter at some point once a defender's in the right position. Um, so that that's something that needs to be considered uh, very strongly, is that if the running game is going to be a big part of the system moving forward, you got to have guys out there that can block. Um, so day two receivers, um, when I just did, uh, I think you're going to look at five or six guys taking the second round. So by the time the Giants come around the clock, I mean, I, I'm a big Cedric Tillman guy. He is my number one receiver outside of that top three. Um, he's kind of nice. like my top second round prospect. If uh, if you really want to get a feel for what he can do, ignore 22 tape, 2022 tape. Go back and watch 2021. And you're going to have a hard time convincing me that his tape in 2021 is not better than everyone in this draft class from 2022. Wow. And he's got the size. He's got the elite hands, the elite ability in contested situations. And, you know, he's had his biggest games in 21 were against his best competition. That's something I personally put a lot of value in. If I'm going to evaluate a guy, I want to look at the schedule. And if I can't watch every single game, which I usually can't, all right, unless you're talking about a quarterback prospect, I look at his best competition and I go look at that tape. And Tillman's best tape in 21 was against his best competition, dominant caliber tape. Now, he's not going to blow you away with speed. He's not going to blow you away with sudden quickness and out of breaks. But this is what this is where is the league really trending towards small, quick guys? Or is that just this draft class? Because Tillman, I know a lot of guys that hate this wide receiver in class, guys in the league that do not like this wide receiver class for one reason, and it's lack of size. So there is still demand in the league right now for big physical guys that can win in contested situations. And Tillman is that guy. You know, everyone around him, I mean, the guys that are surrounding him, I'm going to take out Johnson, Quentin Johnson for a second. I have Zay Flowers, Addison, Hyatt, Mims, Downs, Dell. I mean, that is like six, seven guys that are way undersized. Yeah. So I, and then I have Jonathan Mingo, who we could probably talk about too as a day two option, but he, he's an outlier. <laughs> and he's not, it's not like we're talking about, you know, Randy Moss type ability or size and speed. It's just, he's so much bigger and, and more physical and weighs more than these other guys. So Tillman is a guy I personally think would be a great fit. I just am not confident he will be there for the Giants in round two. Yeah. He's How a about surprise. If there's one guy that I do think would be a surprise first rounder for the Giants, it's him. Oh, I like I, that. I think, I, think that, I think that's a name just to keep in the back. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't want to put my name on that. But I just think if you're asking for a surprise, that, that could be it. We should do those bold takes, Dan, on another podcast. Come up yeah. with who is the biggest surprise at 25. And I like that one. All right, David, I want to ask you before we transition to the round two talk, but I want to ask you about three corners who Giants Twitter, they're buzzing about these guys. Yep. One, Kansas State kid, Julius Brents. Yep. Cam Smith from South Carolina. And then 
outlier Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State, who I really freaking loved his tape and I really love what he can offer, but he's 166 pounds. What is your synopsis on those three guys? They're all, they're all top 10 on my board. Um, I'm higher on Brenton most. He's number eight for me. Forbes is above him. He's at number six. Um, I don't believe any of them should be considered round one. I can see it happening, right? There's always, I always have to struggle and find that line of what do I think should happen? What do I think will happen, right? Whenever I'm making mock drafts, it's all about what I think will happen, right? Um, I don't think Forbes is going to go round one. Uh, just that, that body, you, you're just always going to be afraid that every time there's a big physical contact that he's going to come up and his leg's not going to be attached to his body. I mean, we're just talking like ultra, ultra thin. Um, and the ball skills, they're real. They're absolutely real. If you're going to say, hey, rank the top five ball skills in this corner, he's on that list, maybe even top three. Uh, but th there there were a few picks that he had in college that were layups, right? Like they, the ball was put into his into his jersey by the quarterback. Um, the one that was kicked up into the air. Right. <laughs> the and he had another one. I think, I think Levis threw him one. It might have been last year where it was just like there was almost no one around him. It was definitely a miscommunication. And again, right place, right time. Not not take. I'm higher on Forbes than I think most people are anyway. But I don't yeah. want to just use interceptions as, hey, he should be our first round pick, right? Um, can he do everything else right? Right? Like that's I get nervous about him trying to jam DK Metcalf at the point of attack, mm. right? Um, I get nervous about him supporting the the uh, run defense on the edge, like that. And that he is an aggressive player. But again, it's just like we talked about with those receivers, Dan. 160 pounds is 160 pounds in the NFL, right? Yep. You think he's gonna, you know. You think he's going to step up against uh, someone like Brian Robinson from the Commanders and, and stuff him at the line of the uh, at the point of attack? I, I'm not confident that's going to happen at all. So Brent, though, so you know to answer the question, Forbes to me is a, a round two option only. He's just not there for me in round one. Brent is my if I I think he has a shot at going in round one, not necessarily to the Giants, but I think the the Bengals are going to be a team that to look at a team that really needs to find a weapon against Travis Kelsey, right? I mean, the AFC is going through uh, the Chiefs, right? I mean, I don't think we can debate that at this point, that they are always going to be the team that you have to try and beat. There are a lot of contenders in the AFC, but I think Brent is that kind of perfect fit for what a lot of teams are doing, including the Giants. They're going to get these unbelievable athletes at tight end, and they are going to be your slot receiver for 50% of your, your looks, Right. You need someone that is not Darnay Holmes covering those guys, right? They might be quick and fast enough, but they're just not big and physical enough. Brent is a dog. He is, he is a big, big, strong kid. Um, if the Giants could get their hands on him in round two, I think it'd be a great move. Uh, maybe not for an every down cornerback role, but someone that you're going to have to kind of move around a little bit based on looks. Uh, remember, he started off at Iowa. I don't know if everyone knows that, right? He starts off at Iowa gets on the field early in his career, his freshman year because of injuries, gets put on the field against Rashad Bateman from Minnesota as a freshman, shuts him down. Like nothing, like easy. Then he gets hurt the next year. And then Iowa, all the respect in the world for the guys that have been doing it for a long time, they have a weird system there in terms of personnel, starting lineups and whatnot. Mm -hmm. He had a hard time getting back on the field. So it's kind of like you just forget about him. Then this kid goes to Kansas State, and you're starting to say, how does this kid stay off the field at Iowa, right? Um, so I, I think Brent is a very overlooked player. Sloppy still. Quentin Johnston beat him a couple times downfield. That was a big tape for him that he didn't do a good job on. So Brent is a guy I would love in round two, but I wouldn't expect, you know, year one contributions right away. Cam Smith was one of my top five corners in this class for most of the year. I don't dislike him now. I just think this corner, corner class is so stacked that 
you know, he might be 10th on my list right now. In a normal year, he's probably five or six. Um, really good competitor, plays light, plays a little sloppy as well. He's a guy that needs to, classic example of a corner that comes into the league and needs to do a much better job of trusting his footwork. And he's athletic enough. So what's the issue here? I think there's a disconnect between, hey, I'm really talented, but you still need to do things right. So I think there's going to be some mental hurdles there for Cam Smith, but starting corner, no, no doubt about it, next level. I love that, Cy. And that's something that's interesting to me when it comes to um, just the idea of a player like Brent's is, and I like how you brought this up, how does it translate to the next level? Because is he going to be in a man scheme? Is he going to be in a zone scheme? I think almost he's better off, like you mentioned a little bit, in just kind of an off-coverage scheme there. Um, and I did think it was interesting what you mentioned about Iowa, too, because like just watching a little bit of Lucas Van Ness, he's not on the field for so many snaps. You expect him to be on the field for him. He's just like, this dude is projected as a top-10 pick. Like, How can he not make the field for Iowa? So I know. It's bizarre. And you know, another kid that transferred from there that just blew up the second he left was Charlie Jones. Right? Yes. Charlie Jones we love Charlie receiver. Jones on this pod. He was a punt returner at Iowa. I like know. you're gonna tell, have you watched Iowa play football? That offense is like <laughs> bottom five in NCAA. You're gonna tell me that kid couldn't get more snaps at wide receiver. It's just so it's weird to me that a lot of guys leave that program and they have better careers. I mean George Kittle, right? I mean, yeah. You know, it makes me think about the tight end they have, Sam Laporta. Is this gonna be the next guy that goes into the league and just has a much better career than what we anticipate? I mean, what is Iowa doing? That I, I leave myself every. Almost every game I watched Iowa, I'm just thinking, am I getting a good glimpse of these players or is something wrong with that system there that needs to change? Speaking of just real quick, before we before we get into this, Nick, I'm just curious to hear on because uh, hear a size take on. Uh, look, I don't like helmet scouting. I think it's the stupidest thing that we do in this industry at times. Yeah. But I wonder about like helmet slash system scouting or conference type scouting. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean in a second. So, for example, like we're talking Big 12 football. You look at the wide receivers and, and and more specifically, like anyone who who plays in like that Art Bryle style system now with Tennessee yeah. before, like there are just not many good examples of receivers from the Big 12 translating to the NFL level. Uh, now we're talking about like Quinton Johnson players like that coming into the league and almost in the same level. I was thinking about this while you were talking about Brent's like, do we even have corners who have translated that well to the NFL level from that from the Big Zayden 12? Howard. So who'd you say? Zaven Howard. Yeah, Zaven Howard did drink. Yeah, yeah, so you you have some hits there. But do you do you factor that in at all, conference scouting or scheme scouting to the NFL? What's your take on all of that? It's a great question. You know, if, if I ever get my own podcast going, that, that would be one of the best topics to go over and really do a deep dive on, on that kind of topic of just breaking down every position, offensive, defense from each conference and just seeing where it is. I do think there there is some truth to it that the Big 12, it's easier to play football. It just is. It's easier yeah. to produce. A, there's just not a ton of talent. B, it seems like to me defense is optional in that conference. Like these guys <laughs> get together in an office and like, hey, you guys feel like playing defense this week? Not really. I mean, either. You know, so you have to take that into account. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't good players. There's good players at the Division II level every year. It's, you know, I don't, I don't personally ever want to get to a point where I won't consider someone from the Big 12 because he's from the Big 12. But I do think it's something that needs to be kind of like right here outside your head as you're scouting these guys. Um, and I mean, it's simplified. A lot of the stuff there is simplified. And the NFL offenses are anything but, right? Quentin Johnson, for example, right? Uh, just a quick example here. In 2021, he lined up, I believe it was 95% of his snaps on the right side. No, no, don't even go slot outside, just on the right side, right? 2022, he was, I think, 95 plus percent only on the left side. So what, what is that? Why is that the case? And 
you know, in the NFL, you don't see that. It's a lot more motion. We want, yep. you know, the drives especially. They want guys that play squat and outside. And it's not to say that Quentin Johnson can't do it, but it's just it's another unknown, and it might be a, a bigger learning curve for him. Um, you know, I'll tell you this. In my mock draft, I had him slipping out of the first round, Johnson. And it's not because I don't believe in him. I believe in him personally as a first-rounder, but I think there's going to be an enormous learning curve for a kid like that coming from a big, very traditional, you know, your typical big 12 offense that it just is going to take some of these guys longer and it leaves more boxes unchecked. And a lot of times in the scouting process, like that's kind of like what you're trying to do. Does he check this box, that box? And you have a lot of boxes next to these guys in the big 12 offense and defense. They don't check them. Yeah. So let's, let's uh, focus the conversation here. We have a little bit more time with Cy. We're lucky. He's given us extra time today. We got bonus time with Cy. So eventually we will actually have the opportunity pretty shortly to answer your questions that you all sent in for Cy. But before we do that, I want to get a few players that Giants fans who are listening to this podcast can keep in mind as players, you will be interested in them targeting first. Give me some day two targets and then give me a round target uh, either at 89 or, or in the second round. And you could even say like, if you feel like a guy is more in a range of like 60 to 70, well, this is a guy who they'd have to trade back for or trade up for something like that um and then it could be any position it could be any of the position just guys that are size guys we'll call them yeah i mean uh so let's see at the at the wide receiver position just because i think it's the most you know most discussed i'm a big mark i mean i already told you about cedric tillman i like marvin the mims too um kind of as that like hey we can't get our hands on zay flowers smith and the jigba jordan addison you know who's the same kind of player maybe even the same caliber that we can get later Jordan Mims is my guy, um, played in a really bad offense at Oklahoma this past year, still had a pretty productive season, but also just kind of a weird situation over his over the course of his entire career. Not a lot of stability around him, so you really just have to look at the talent itself, and I think there's some Stefan Diggs in his game, which is the reason why I do think the Giants are going to be interested, just considering that Bill's uh, connection to the wide receiver position. So that's a, a wide receiver that I really like. I don't think we should be ignoring running back. Um is there a running back in this class, day two, maybe even round four, that complements Barkley well? But also, if the Giants are out of Barkley's market next year, which we have to consider a possibility, he's on the franchise tag, is Kendra Miller from TCU. Um, just big on his ability to anticipate where guys are going to be, vision, but also the contact balance reminds me a lot of Alvin Kamara. It's the first name I wrote under him. Ooh. When I started writing his tape last year uh, in the fall, when I started watching his tape, sorry, was the ability to absorb contact and just go as if it never touched him. He's not a big dude. He's not the fastest guy ever, but he knows how to play fast and he knows how to see things come before they happen. And, you know, contact balance to me is, yes, there's some God-given trait in there, but I think it's the ability to anticipate when defenders uh, are going to come in contact with you. And Kamara does that at an elite level, and I see some of that in Kendra Miller. Um, I, I do think the offensive line needs to be addressed here. And I personally want to stick with this theme of let's draft a tackle and put him inside. And a guy that I have higher than most is Jordan McFadden from Clemson, multi-year starter, team captain from Clemson. He's a six foot two left tackle, but with 34 plus plus inch arms, he has the length. Um, and you know, it's possible. I love also love having guys in my room that can play multiple spots if injuries start to pile up. You know, you don't have to put a Matt Pert out there if you have a guard that played college and ta- uh, tackle in college, because you know he can at least get the footwork down. I'm a big McFadden guy in terms of just how well he stays square, stays attached, really strong, country strong hands. That's also what I look for. And I'll give you one more just so I don't drag on too much. 
Another spot I think needs to be addressed on this defense is the edge defender position. And only because if Kayvon Thibodeau or the injury-prone Aziz Ojolari goes down, who are you putting in there? Who is it? I mean, is it Tamon Fox, who I like as a run defender? I think he flashed enough. I think he deserves a shot. But I think they need someone out there, but also at the same time complements these guys' skill sets. Martindale likes size on the edge defender. He wants the edge defender not only to be the pass rusher, but to set the edge as a run defender. And it could be a 4-3 DN type guy. And a guy that I really love in that role is Yaya Diaby from Louisville. Just a standout NFL body, blew up his workouts. I knew he would. Um, I thought he was, he's one of the best hand fighters, just hand strikers with good length uh, that still doesn't really rush the passer with a plan. But Louisville with, the, used him very oddly in that scheme. I don't think they maximized his skill set. So if he goes to a defense like this, I trust that Martindale can get the most out of him. I think you could say that about so many edge rushers too. Like their college teams didn't necessarily maximize their potential. Like Will McDonald is another one. You have Will yeah. McDonald, a guy who can probably flatten better than anybody in this draft class. A lot is a four tech team, yeah. man, like no angle to the quarterback. Well, you can even make that argument with Will Anderson. I mean, he was doing like four eye stuff. He wasn't really sure. rushing outside all that often. I like the Diaby call for like a day three type of pick yeah. just because of his ability to slant and penetrate inside. I-, I wanted to see a little bit more. I felt like a lot of his sacks were on like twists and things like that. It wasn't like just him winning one-on-one matchups, but to your point, he wasn't necessarily being maximized, but I want to kind of get into a more broader discussion about the edge position. Cause you brought up a very fascinating point that Dan and I have talked about a lot. And that is that Wink Martindale likes size in his mm-hmm. edge rushers. He likes the Jihad Ward dude's 290 pounds aligning on the edge, but is he athletic enough to do so? And if you look at this draft, class. There are several traditional 4-3 even front ends that I actually believe the Giants could have interest in. You can go down the checklist of players who are like that. I mean, Miles Murphy, if you want to talk about it in the first round, kind of has that type of build to him. I mean, Tyree Wilson too, but he's out of the picture. Players like Isaiah Foskey, Keon Whites, they're a little bit bigger for like what you would traditionally think of a 3-4 outside linebacker. So do you think the Giants could, maybe on day two, go with a 260 plus pound edge rusher who would be the backup to a Kayvon Thibodeau to an Aziz Ojolari, even though it's not traditionally the three, four base outside linebacker. Absolutely. I, I really do. Um, it's funny you know, when you talk, when you talk about the giants, you start to realize how many holes that the roster does have, right? I mean, we're, we're sitting pretty in terms of where we were a couple of years ago, but it's still a team that needs a lot of work. And when you have that, you talk about the safeties, the corners, the linebackers, the D-line, the O-line. The rec- like, yeah, we can use a day two pick on them that we realize you talk, you said it six times when you talk <laughs> about the roster. And you go into draft weekend saying, yeah, I mean, I'm going to nod my head to almost every position other than, you know, quarterback and, and tight end and tackle, right? Um, that, you know, let's look at what this team has on the edge. They have Kayvon Thibodeau, who I think we all feel good about. They have a guy that you, you know, even if you like Ojolari, you have to acknowledge he's an injury problem now. And he did not have the cleanest medical coming out of Georgia either, right? Now his brother out of LSU doesn't have the cleanest medical either. So, you know, is there something genetic there? I don't I don't want to talk about something I don't know too much about, but this is something to consider. But I mean, as early as round one, is if Miles Murphy is there, I wouldn't be surprised to see them make that kind of move. You know, um, you know, I can remember back when the Giants drafted. Matthias Kiwanuka in their first round. And that was back when they had just defensive end growing on trees. I'm like, what are we doing? You can never have enough of those guys. Like it is probably the easiest, quickest way to improve your football team is if you have a NASCAR package, 
remember when they had OC, Ta, Kiwanuka, Strahan? Um, You know, that's probably the best way to play defense in in today's NFL. But, you know, I do think it's more realistic to think round two, maybe even, uh, sorry, day two, probably even early day three. And those bodies like Keon White, Diaby, um, Ali Gay from LSU, um, Isaiah McGuire from Missouri, they're 4-3 types, but they have a role. They have a fit here. I mean, if Jihad Ward can play that role, right. those guys can play that role. I think it's more about your ability to set the edge and then, hey, can, do you have something as a pass rusher that we can try and uh, develop over the years? And I think that's the beauty of the Wink Martindale system. You don't have to yeah. think of it like this is a 4-3 even front guy. This is a 3-4 out front. He'll find somewhere along that along the way to go. And I want to say this about the – Everybody talked about like what was the biggest problem last year with the Giants. It really was those perimeter stopping the run on the perimeter. And it was linebacker based, but part of it for me, just watching the film over and over week after week, was I didn't love how we set the edge. And we rely, like you said, they rely on those guys to set the edge so much with the way they align pre-snap in those fronts. Yeah. And it's like I, I hope they find something that we can put out on the field that's not just Jihad Ward to play that role, especially if, like you said, Ojalari goes down again. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the first part of the David Sybertson interview right here on the Big Blue Banter podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Please stay tuned. Look on our feed for the second part where we answer your, the listeners' questions for David Sybertson. Thank you, everyone, and have a lovely day.